American soccer fans, welcome to episode 107 of the USA Soccer Cast. We're bringing you everything about the U.S. national teams, the players, the leagues, and everything else that impacts the game of soccer in these United States. I'm Donald Wine. It's May 17th, 2023, and we have some stories to catch up on, including a couple of big news items that happened yesterday. And we're going to start with the biggest story, and that is Falaran Balogun is now a United States men's national team player. How about that? I'm so excited. I know a lot of you out there were excited about this news. It just absolutely was a wave of electricity throughout U.S. soccer Twitter, and for good reason. I mean, FIFA approved this one-time switch yesterday to represent the United States in international play. This kid is electric. Straight up, 21 years old, 19 goals in 34 league matches this year for Hans, fifth in league Um. He's on loan from Arsenal and just has a knack for having some really, really nice goals. He he looks great in a uniform, in the US, United States national team uniform. We saw some of the videos yesterday about how he's coming to you know help out the team in whatever way possible, including beginning next month with the Nations League and with the Gold Cup. It seems like he is going to be called in for at least the Nations League. But this, you got to love this announcement is something that people have been clamoring for for a long time. If you remember back in March, Balogun went to Orlando for vacation. And during that time, the United States men's national team was in Orlando for training for the Nations League games that they had against Grenada and then in Orlando against El Salvador. So from there, he got to know the team. He did kind of the circuit, went to the you know magic game, and we saw him at the you know Yankee spring training and just kind of you know all over Florida in from there, it seemed like the team was trying to get him to, you know, not only learn about the program, but learn about the culture of the program. And I got to credit a few people in this. Anthony Hudson, you know, Greg Berhalter before him, the coaching staff, the players, they laid out the groundwork of how to recruit these dual national players and make them feel comfortable while experiencing the environment of the team. They get to ask questions. They get to know the players. They get to know the coaching staff. They get to understand, and, and we know that Anthony Hudson is a, you know, right now a caretaker manager of sorts. We're going to get a new manager very soon, hopefully. And, you know, but at the same time, Balogun didn't have to wait for that to happen for him to make his commitment. He saw in the United States someone that wanted him. He credited the fans for uh, rolling out the welcome wagon and, and welcoming him and, and really, you know, showing that they, that we want him on the national team with all the comments and even the players were responding with a lot of USA flag emojis and in, in a lot of his, in a lot of his tweets and a lot of his Instagram posts. But I think the main thing is this, we have a, a knack right now for recruiting very well. And I think Balogun is just the latest example of this. If you think about it, we've had, you know, before that is Yunus Musa. We had, you know, Timothy Tillman last week just committed uh, follow one time switch. We also had, you know, Tyler Boyd back in the day. We, you know, we've had Serginho Dest. We've had a lot of great hits in the last, you know, couple of years of just out dueling other national teams for our dual nationals. And this is not in the sense where, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann went and brought in a bunch of, you know, German Americans. We're going all over the place to try and find talent that can help our national team and increase our player pool. Balogun is going to add to directly to that. I think he's going to be a guy that can feature heavily in the nation's league. He may not start in that first game against Mexico, but I expect to see him on the field against Mexico. And then if he's able to stay for the gold cup, 
Mind you, the Gold Cup is six days after the Nations League. And if he's able to stay for that, I think he's going to thrive. He could be a guy who can start a couple of games, come off the bench in every game that you want him to and play in every game you want him to and score a lot of goals in the Gold Cup and really help this team as they seek to defend both titles in the next month and a half. So this is a really big get for the United States. For Balogun, it's a great big get because now there's still a little bit of question about where he's going to end up next season. As I mentioned, he's at Grimes right now. He's been playing very well, but he's only there on loan from Arsenal. Does he go back to Arsenal? Keep in mind, Arsenal has a an American tour that's coming to the United States right after the Gold Cup is done. So he could just stay in the United States and, and factor in well with that team. He could be on move somewhere else in Europe, but the sky's the limit for what he can do. And he sh- he's shown that he can start and lead a team at the nine position, which is exactly what we're looking for. So I'm so super excited to see him play next month in, in either the Nations League and or the Gold Cup. I'm super excited to see him in a men's national team uniform. And I know that you are too. So Congrats to everyone involved with the recruitment of Florian Belligan. Flo is a is United States player, and that just makes me super, super happy. I want to move on to another bit of news that happened last week, and that is two weeks ago, U.S. Soccer hired a sporting director in Matt Crocker, and A week ago, they added to that department by hiring a new position, a vice president of sporting. And this is going to be a guy that's going to be directly underneath kind of a deputy sporting director of sorts. And the guy that they brought in to make this role and create this role for is none other than Gooch. Gucci Onyewu, he will be the vice president of sporting for U.S. soccer. This is a great, great grab, I think, for the Federation. Not only is Gucci is, is a legend, it, we all know the stare down with Borghetti. We know he was a long time, two time world time, uh, two time World Cup veteran. He's, he was in the national team for a long time, played in Europe, played in Major League Soccer, is just generally well loved by everybody. But after that, he even got into the sporting side of things in his post, you know, cr- post playing career. He's <clears throat> he was the sporting director for Orlando City B in 2018. And then in 2018, he moved to Belgium, where he became the secretary general of Royal Excelsior Verton. This is a guy who has some experience. It feels like he was one of the finalists, or at least a guy who was heavily involved in the uh, search for a sporting director. He obviously didn't get that role. And this might be the Federation's way of saying, hey, he's too good to just let go somewhere else. Let's keep him in a role that we think suits him and also a way for him to kind of show that he could once, you know, one day be the sporting director of us soccer. And I think this is going to be great. He, you know, is going to be directly involved with hiring the next men's national team coach. He's going to be involved on the women's side. He's going to be involved in fundraising for the extended national teams and the youth national teams. I think this is outstanding for Oguchi and Yewu. Obviously, DC guy, born born outside in uh, only Maryland, which is just outside of DC. But this guy is a legend in all sorts, and for him to come back and bring his knowledge to U.S. soccer, I think is very much welcome. So, congratulations to Gooch. Look forward to seeing what he can do in that role, and hopefully, we get a chance to see that firsthand as we move forward into the summer. Where again, any day now, 
we could have a new men's national team head coach. We are going to take a break, but on the other side, a new women's soccer league begins to take flight. And we will discuss the new teams of the USL Super League, as well as how they're seeking to bring some competition to women's soccer in the United States. More on that after this. We are back and we are shifting focus to the women's side of things, the women's soccer in general in the United States. And there is a new league that is starting next summer here in the United States. It's the USL Super League. And yesterday they announced the teams that are going to be a part of that initial first season of the league when it debuts in August. Those teams are going to be in Charlotte, Dallas-Fort Worth, Lexington, Kentucky, Phoenix, Spokane, Washington, Tampa Bay, Tucson, Arizona, and Washington, D.C. That is eight of the, quote, 10 to 12 teams that they expect to have ready for the first season. Among some of the other teams that could factor into that 12 are coming from Chattanooga, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Madison, Wisconsin, and Oakland, California. Some of those teams will come in in 2024, and others are looking forward to coming into the league in future seasons. I think this is great. The The USL Super League is going to be yet another league that will help, again, bring more women's soccer to a lot of different cities. I think, however, there's a couple of things that have made it where they are actually trying to directly compete with the NWSL. The first part is that they are going for a fall to spring schedule. They're starting in August 2024. They're going to go into the spring mainly aligning with the European schedule. And we've had this debate up and down the block here in the United States about whether a European, a traditional European schedule would work here in the United States. I'm here to tell you, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because as we've seen, climate change is not changing anytime soon. The summers are hotter. The winters are colder. Colder winters are coming sooner. A lot of the fall is filled with just desperate and dangerous weather all up and down the United States. And I will tell you, I don't know if any of you have been to Charlotte in the wintertime, but it can get cold. I don't know if any of you have been to Washington State in the wintertime, but it's going to be cold. In November, Tampa, even D.C., you could run into, in Charlotte, you can run into hurricanes. We've had a lot more hurricanes in previous years as well. There's a lot going on. Tucson, Phoenix, they get super hot. I, I don't know if you know this, but they can get super hot in spring. I was just there in April. It was 98 degrees the day before we got there. So let's not act like it's going to be perfect weather for these cities all you know throughout this fall to winter season, fall to spring season. But that's really not the biggest crux of this. There's also other ways they're going to be competing. They're, they're not going to have a draft they're going to not have salary caps. There's a lot of ways they're trying to compete with NWSL, but the biggest one and the one that's raising the most questions is this. They are applying, instead of applying for Division Two status with U.S. soccer, they are applying for Division One status with U.S. soccer. That would mean it would be on the same level as the NWSL if they are approved by U.S. soccer. Most are saying it's because they're getting more investment interest with the league being Division One, but 
I feel like they got to sort all this out. Competition's good, but you want continued growth of the game. You want to bring it to areas that don't already have it on a professional level. Just look at the map of the United States. They they released the map of, I, I forgot who did it, and I apologize for that. But someone put out a map of where all the USL Super League teams would be in relationship to where all the NWSL teams currently are. There's wide swaths of area in the middle of the country that don't have a professional women's soccer team. There's also some places where they would be directly competing, namely right here where I live in Washington, D.C. The D.C. Super League team, USL Super League team, is going to compete directly with the NWL. The D.C. USL Super League team is going to compete directly with the Washington Spirit. This is where it gets convoluted. Just here in D.C., the USL Super League team here in Washington, D.C. is going to be part owned by a group called Attain and D.C. United. Now, D.C. United, these two groups, D.C. United and Attain, also own Loudoun United. Loudoun United, of course, was started by D.C. United to be kind of their MLS2 team, but just this season was sold mostly to this group that also owns the Bowie Bay Sox in minor league baseball. But that group, along with D.C. United, is going to own this USL Super League team and presumably would play at Segra, which is also the home of Loudoun United. Now, there's also the Washington Spirit, who play at Audi Field, which is D.C. United's home stadium. And so I'm real curious as a D.C. resident and as a Spirit fan how that's all going to work. Because D.C. United is going to own a team that's going to be directly competing with another team in another league that is playing in their stadium. You get all that? Because I, I get it's confusing. But really is going to be on the Spirit owner, Michelle Kang, to potentially build a stadium specifically for the Spirit. As she also announced yesterday, tangentially, that she is taking over as the majority owner of Olympic Lyonnais women's team and seeking to form a conglomerate football group that would be similar to City Football Group, but would focus on women's soccer teams. That's while the rest of Lyon's ownership group will try to sell O.L. Reign, who they own. So there's a lot going on in women's soccer right now, a lot going on in the NWSL and also with the Super League. But direct competition may not be what it all is cracked up to be. And I think they have to sort a lot of this out. We had this on the men's side. A lot of people joke we called it soccer wars. We had a lot of this on this on the men's side with the with MLS, with USL and the NASL, and now even the NISA. And now there's this other league called the NSL that will probably never get off the ground, but I digress. The issue is that they are directly competing. And for some of the same markets, and I get from a business standpoint, that may make sense, but you're leaving out a lot of the country that wants women's soccer, that desperately desires women's soccer. And you're kind of saying, nah, not interested. We're going after these guys. And I think that's a big problem. Major League Soccer had the same thing. USL and Major League Soccer have kind of balanced that out a little bit. Um, USL has kind of moved into some of these markets that have been neglected and are, or at least are trying to while Major League Soccer focuses on the bigger markets. But at the end, if you all of this leads to people wanting promotion relegation, and that's fine. You can debate that to the end of time that you want it. I, I don't mind it. I don't care about it. But at the end of the day, it's not what's right right now for soccer because soccer in this country just isn't as stable as people think. Every single year, we have expansion. We have people teams going to other leagues. We have teams folding. 
there's no stability yet in any of these divisions, any of these leagues. So until we have that, we can't talk about promotion relegation. But the way to achieve stability is not to necessarily go after each other in every market that you possibly can. It's just not. And even USL and NISA are having this beef too. Chattanooga is at the center of that. It's a lot going on, but we have a year till, you know, at least over a year until the Super League comes about. There's a lot to sort out, but at the end of the day, I think more women's soccer is great. That's the, the great thing about the Super League is that we're going to have more women's soccer in some areas that, are, again, are traditionally overlooked when it comes to soccer. I think that part is great. I think the other parts, they just need to get in a room and hash that out because right now it doesn't make a lot of sense and it makes people skeptical about feeling good about the success of this league. I think that's it for today. That'll do it for episode 107 of the USA Soccer Cast. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Twitter. We're at USA Soccer Cast. Don't forget, we have an affiliate program with Fanatics and the MLS Store. You can head to usasoccercast.podbean.com. Click on our link tree. And you can learn more while you support the show and you get the latest gear. Also, please send us some topic suggestions as we move forward. You can either email them to usasoccercast at gmail.com or tag us in your questions on Twitter. Coming up next week, I want to do a mailback episode. So that means you need to get your questions in so that I can answer them. So until then, we will talk to you again soon. Peace. Peace.